0: continue to invest passively as well because like at the end of the day you can have some depreciation right from your investment as well as cash flow component and you have a chance to let's say tune effects your your investment it's hard to say no to that right hello and thank you for joining us today on the gentle art of crushing it show where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives this show stands on the shoulders of giants Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show.
1: All right, welcome back to the Gentle Art of Crushing It podcast. My name is Randy Smith and I'll be your host today. And I'm really excited to have a a fellow member of a mastermind that I'm a part of Paul Kazanski with us. Paul is a pretty heavy passive investor. He's currently in 16L position. He's had eight LP positions go full cycle. And uh, just really excited to have you here, Paul, to talk about all of those things. So welcome to the show.
0: Happy to be here. Thanks, Randy.
1: Awesome. Well, why don't we go ahead and dig right in. Paul, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, how does someone get to a position where they've got 24 LP positions uh, in real estate-related
0: deals. Sure. So, look, I I'll quickly cover my 20s. Um, I spent 20s primarily in Wall Street, uh, working in, in you know, a couple of different uh, positions with uh, credit analysis, so analyzing deals in one capacity or another. Um, then got my MBA out of the way, and then um, went into essentially a real estate startup in 2013. And in 2013, you know, our strategy at the time was to buy uh, dilapidated buildings around Baltimore and reposition them through adaptive reuse into essentially class B apartment units, right? And did a couple of projects. Um, one was 10 units, a um, couple were 25, one was 60. So that was, that was kind of like me wearing a developer's hat. You know, it was, it was, it was me and, and a few other uh, partners at the time. And then we fell almost backwards into self-storage space. Like we, we were presented with a building that would not underwrite um, as multi-family play um, or an office, but as self-storage, which was interesting. And that was our first self-storage project. And, you know, we've seen done a, a bunch more since then. Um, did that for probably like another couple of years. And then me and one of the guys, while continuing to be developers, we, we pivoted. And we co-founded a private lending platform called PSG Lending. And essentially there, you know, our typical client was not so much Fix and Flipper, although we had some of those guys as well, but it was like a smaller developer who would not qualify with a local bank for whatever reason, right? We tried to sort of, you know, make good decisions, uh, giving money to the right folks and, you uh, it was, it was a lot of fun growing the company from, from, from scratch. Um, and then when I exited the, the business and the partnership two years ago, um, we had you know, eight people, uh, staff and putting out uh, north of, I think it was north of 60 million origination per year. Um, so that was two years ago. And for the last two years, I, I've, I've been heavily investing in um, various real estate deals primarily real estate uh, as an LP investor, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: Uh, so. Awesome. Okay. Well, that is, I mean, that's a heck of a story. Uh, but I, I believe you, you mentioned you were with, I think I saw from your LinkedIn site, you were actually with Moody's for for a number of years. And that's really how you kicked off your your analytics and your analysis background and experience with, with a very large organization there. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I, I hear of the organization, Um, and understanding of, of course, if you can't, then we can just move on very quickly as well. So.
0: (laughs) No, there's, there's no NDA on Moody's, I I mean, look, it was my first job out of college, right? Like I I didn't really, I didn't really know much about how to like analyze company companies, how to like understand what their credit worthiness, um, hinges on. So that was a good company to just kind of like hone my fundamental credit analysis skills. I thought it was an interesting time. And after that, I spent some time with um, with a few hedge funds where I was able to leverage that background. And once again, do a lot of kind of like credit decisions around um, businesses, companies that would, that would come across my desk.
1: Interesting. And then so that you parlay that into a partnership where you're actually doing full underwriting on potential opportunities that you're gonna be lending to. So you have the background and experience to know what do successful businesses look like? What do good assets look like? And that's what allowed you, I mean, ultimately, to become a lending partner as well, I suspect. It, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, look, any any lender will tell you they, they underwrite based on the worst-case scenario. Right? Something like, you know, what happens if, you'll, if you give this guy money and you never hear from him again. Right? At, at any point that the money is out. And we would need to be comfortable with that scenario uh, being in the cards um and we we would need to feel pretty comfortable that we would get all, all of our money back so while i was there we did north of 150 or 160 loans and we never lost any money uh never lost the dollar in principle and we had like five or six positions where we got less than 100 percent of the interest owed it was like between 75 and 90 percent interest but all in all it was it was um it was an exciting time um the lending game Became kind of like more difficult as the as the margins got squeezed more and more. Like as, you know, as you remember, the, as, as the interest rates. Um, so what happened was as the as the interest rates went down, it actually became more players have entered the market, and we had to compete with guys whose cost of capital was below ours, um, and that did not make things easier, right? Uh, so we we had to sort of figure out if we're comfortable taking more risk. Um, or, you know, we had to find some other edge to compete. So for example, we we did a lot of grown up construction projects. Given our, you know, background in construction and development, we could underwrite that risk versus, you know, a lot of, a lot of other lenders just don't have that background and they wouldn't touch grown up projects. So it was, it was an interesting time. Um, learned a ton about underwriting, um, all kinds of deals, which made it easier for me to become, you know, a passive investor almost, almost, almost full time for the last two years.
1: Are you interested in real estate investing, but don't know where to get started or think you don't have the time or money? Are you stuck in your W-2 because the golden handcuffs make it hard to walk away? If this sounds like you, check out impactequity.net and schedule some time to talk with the founder, Randy Smith. Randy went from massive income to leaving his W-2 through passive income, and he can help you do the same. www.impactequity.net. So yeah, very interesting. So you come from a very analytical background. You're used to looking at business models, business plans, underwriting models, and determining whether it can make sense for uh, you and your partner's investment. And then you switch over to the lens of doing that same process, I suspect, for your own personal investment. So what, is, uh, what does that due diligence process look like as an LP investor with, with somebody that has the experience that you have?
0: Yeah, so that's that's a, that's kind of like a very open-ended question. You know, we can talk about this for a long time. <laughs> sure, but
1: sure.
0: yeah, I'll I'll tell you one of the things that um that happened um so in the in the eight years that I spent with a with with the former partnership, all the money that have been, I guess, all the projects that have been investing in were pretty much uh, development projects, right? Uh, some were existing buildings and we repositioned them to like a different asset class and some more ground up construction. And one thing that I, that I learned is that the cash on cash component on a ground, ground up construction deal is not very sexy. Right? right you know, right, right. if you're dealing with, with self storage, you know, you gotta get all your, you know, you take down the land, you gotta get all your permits in place, then, you know, permits, zoning, what have you, then you go vertical, right? I guess you, you break ground, there's lots of risk, things go, sideways they take a lot longer than you would expect them to and then finally when you build the building you know you have to stabilize it and uh for you know a hundred thousand square foot box which is what you see with a lot of like self um extra space or cube smart uh, buildings it takes three years to stabilize the project so from the from the beginning to a point that it's stabilized it it easily takes six to seven years um, for you to really get your money out um, through like a liquidation event, so not, not much of a cash to cash at all, and you have to be very comfortable just hanging out for six or seven years uh, to see any cash coming back to you, right? You might get like a two and a half, two and a half x um, uh, return on your on your initial investment, but you got to be very patient, right? Um, and the last two years, I sort of realized that. I don't like to not get the cash-on-cash component on most of my investments. And I've been looking, you know, uh, whether it's multi-family or self-storage or mobile home parks, but situations where there is a cash-on-cash from the day you come in, right? So, you know, if it's a self-storage deal, um, it's, it, it would be an existing building that somebody is doing some sort of a value-add work to so that maybe they're like increasing the density or they're doing like a small addition um, or the, the improving on the operations of the existing building, right? So that you don't have to wait for six or seven years to see your money back. And you, you can come in and get, you know, seven, eight, nine percent cash in cash starting year one, right? Um, so I think I'm a big fan of that model. And basically every single investment that I've made with an exception of, one short-term development play, where um, it's it's about eighteen months from start to finish. Um, it's it's a townhouse development, and basically, the developer was was breaking ground as he was raising the capital. Um, but aside from that project, every single other project i are investing in, regardless of the asset class, all had a strong cash and cash component.
1: Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot there we could unpack. But I'm I'm curious more. I think. You mentioned that in these development projects you were, the exit was to something like a CubeSmart or something like that. So they were requiring three years of stabilization. My understanding is that um, there's kind of different phases that you can do in development. It's, it's as you, you said, the land acquisition piece, which you have the whole entitlement process, which that can take, I mean, literally that can take years, that piece in and of itself, depending on, on that piece. But once you have permits, you've got entitlement completed, you can can potentially invest at that point, which is just simply going horizontal and then vertical. And that can take 12 to 18 to 24 months. And then I've also heard where there's opportunities where you can invest once once it's gone vertical, but maybe it's not been um, stabilized or they've just essentially filled it up with Anything they could fill it up with and then the value add becomes taking that loss to lease or burning off that loss to lease to get it to to current market rates. So is there an appetite on your part to look at other phases of that piece to kind of shorten that window? Or is it just simply you want cash flow from day one and those are the only type of opportunities you look at?
0: I would say it's it's there's a lot of that, right? There's a lot of situations okay. that uh okay that have a cash and cash component, because I, the, I think we're all trying to create passive income, right? We all try to sort of get to a point where you don't have to, you know, go to work. or I mean, I, I expect to go to work as, as, as long as I live. But sure. I'd like to get to a point where I have enough of a cash flow component to cover all my expenses. Right. So to get to that, um, you kind of have to focus on situations that have a cash and cash component pretty early on, whether it's from day one or it's six months into the project. And like I said, the only exception that I've made was a townhouse development where it's it's for sale, right? So the guy starts on whatever, gen one, um, it takes 12 to 14, maybe 16 months to to build a townhouse and then you exit. So by month 16, 17, maybe 18, um, I, I expect to have the, the money back. So I haven't seen a lot of interesting plays where you can come in at a different point of, of value creation, right? So like if somebody received their certificate of occupancy, could you come in at that point? Uh, maybe, but like how much I – just, I just haven't seen situations where developers are willing to, to take on new equity at that point. Usually they can go to the 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 banking community Lender. right and yeah. say, look, most of most of the risk has been removed, right? Can you can you give me a bigger loan? Something like that. Um, Got it. So I just I just okay. haven't seen a lot of interesting plays that where you can come in mid mid project. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, no no doubt. It's uh, And I think it's probably different between self-storage and multifamily and, you know, all the different asset classes as well. It seems like self-storage would be easier to fill. I guess principally, though, you could fill something easier if you were to, to drop rates just to fill it up so you can get that 90% occupancy. Randy, um, and,
0: and if I may, um, so, to, so you asked me the question kind of like, you know, how do I underwrite the deal, right? So yeah, I've been yeah. So I think kind of like, you know... Uh, talking a lot about the cash and cash component but also like the economics of the deal like how you split the pie right between the sponsor and the LP um, and I've seen anything from you know 80 20 where the LP gets 80% of the upside you know developer gets um, gets 20 which is obviously very fair to the other to the other way right where yeah, yeah the, the developer yeah. gets 80 and the LP who has vast majority of the risk gets 20 percent so you know things like like i'm surprised they're able to raise money but there were guys like that um that are able to raise money so you gotta like pay a lot of attention to the, the economics um and finally the track record um you know you and i were talking offline about a couple a couple of guys like DLP or, or, or post investment group like companies have been around for a long time you know get audited um you know I have have a history of doing really really strong returns for a number of years so i would say those are the things like you know the cash flow the, the economics need to make sense the like the tenor or how long any given developer or, or you know real estate investor had been around sponsor um and their track record like those are the things that I, I tend to focus first and foremost um yeah <laughs>
1: Okay. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I think it's, you know, after you get beyond kind of the very high level basics of passive investing, understanding metrics and those types of things, like there's a progression of the passive investors journey. And I, I went through something similar to you as I, when I first came in, I was in my W-2. I had very good income, so I didn't need cash flow. I, I didn't think I needed cash flow. And I, I would hear people saying, you know, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. And I am sitting on the sidelines thinking, it's crazy. I technically don't want any more cash flow because I just don't want to deal with the tax consequences and all of that. I'm really kind of saving for a rainy day. But then when the circumstances change and all of a sudden I got laid off from a job, I became a cash flow investor with, with the snap of a finger. So, you know, what I've learned by hanging out in the community that you and I are a part of is that it's usually a good idea to focus on cash flow until all of your expenses are covered. And at that point, you can handle the risk of going after some more of these, these other lower cash flowing or no cash flowing investments that are going to ultimately grow that bucket faster. So it's, it's interesting that even from your perspective, You've had a similar experience with that, and you're back to cash flow just like I am yeah. today as well.
0: So. And, and I would say, look, you can find, as you know, you can find strong deals where you have both the cash and cash component of 7 8% cash and cash, as well as, you know, a two and a half X equity multiple, right? While, you know, over the life of you holding the, the investment, why would you even want to touch something that has no cash and cash, has all kinds of risk? might get a capital call, whatnot, on a development deal, right? Where you are probably still going to end up with a very similar multiple, unless it's a 4x multiple with a, you know, run construction deal versus a 2.5x multiple where you have cash and cash. But I don't know if I believe in the 4x multiple in the the ground construction. I know they exist, but I feel like they're, you know, few and far between.
1: I agree. And you're never going to see that on on an investor presentation. And if you do, like, run right absolutely so yeah well i'm wondering too if we could we could shift a little bit here you mentioned that you had kind of shifted into the space where you were starting to look to potentially be an operator in i believe it was self storage or triple net potentially and you spent like almost 2 years looking for things that would meet your underwriting expectations and it just did not exist so i'm i'm curious can you talk through that process and maybe the mindset and some of the challenges you went through through that journey as well or?
0: yeah sure so so the way to make money in real estate is to is to add value right so you can buy land and go vertical or you can buy like an existing asset that's poorly operated and you know increase the pricing or maybe like fix the roof you know raise the rents that way um, or inc- increase the occupancy level right those are like some of the ways that, that people typically make money. And I spent some, I spent probably close to 18 months looking for value deals within the triple net industrial, which has been on fire in in the last like couple years, right? And after putting 24 LOIs in the first six months of 2023 and getting O for 24, I just realized that you either have to, as as a broker told me, you gotta take it on the chin, right? have no cash on cash for the first like two three years of investing and then come year four or five you can start like raising rents and you can probably get i don't know three four or five percent cash on cash at that point and i was like that just sounds like a horrible proposition right um (laughs) no doubt yeah yeah like so there's been a major disconnect between the buyers and sellers right for for like for, for the last 12 months and you know instead of um kind of like lowering my expectations and, you know, settling for mediocre investment projects. You know, I just kind of like, I was totally fine investing as an LP in situations where people were able to find usually off-market deals that had better economics, you know, with the cash and cash component, often had a depreciation play, right? that You and I both care about a lot. So, um, and then basically, A few months ago, I sort of made a decision to focus on purchasing an existing business. Um, One, because I realized that the, you know, if in real estate you buy something and has like, you know, a nine cap or eight or nine cap, that's considered great. And, you know, businesses, it's more like a 30 cap when you buy something. So um, for real estate guys, it's hard to like wrap wrap your hand around that number. But um, it's, a different, it's a different level of risk, right? There's operation experience and, uh, is, is required or you, you better be able to, to, to operate well. Um, but the upside is, is tremendous. And as I think basically, you know, we, we're, we're facing a, what are they calling, the, the silver uh, tsunami, like something like, something like 11,000 baby boomers are retiring every single day, right? Walker Dybul talks about it in uh, Biden bill. Like, over the next seven years is, is just a fantastic time to to try to find a business that's, you know, simple to operate, um, has a great track record. You know, you can borrow up to 90% from, from uh, small business administration through SBA 7A, right? Um, and just operate the business um, versus buying something in real estate for like a six cap when the cost of debt is seven and pray that you're able to improve everything really quickly. And then hopefully you can raise the rent and yada, yada, yada.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and, and, and you've got the experience having been a partner in multiple deals or multiple, multiple businesses and successfully ramped those up. So I I'm curious, you, you mentioned you've got to have some operational, um, know-how ultimately to get into that space. Is, is it, and, and I've not spent really any time looking into business acquisition up to this point, but I'm intrigued with it. And I, my fear would be that y- you would have to hire somebody really to run the business unless you wanted to jump into the weeds from day one. Um, and if I didn't have the knowledge or know-how, how could I hire the right person or manage that person? But I, I think it's, it's a higher level of risk than anything I've been exposed to, but I'm curious – uh, your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, look, I, I totally agree with you. It is it is a higher level of risk, right? Like you buy, you know, a triple net small bay industrial deal and you have, let's say, 30 days, and you, you put in a tenant into every bay and if they pay, great. And if not, you know, you evict them and you get a different guy, right? Um, and if, you know, you have uh, roof leaks, hopefully you have insurance, uh, but you can you can you can address it. With the business, um, there's a lot more, moving variables, right? Like what industry is it in? Um, you know, is the industry getting tailwinds or or, or headwinds? Um, what's the concentration of, of customers, of suppliers? You know, uh, are your competitors killing you? Is the guy selling because he's ready to retire or because the business is falling off the cliff? Like there's, there's a lot, there's definitely more risk. There's, there's, I think there's no question about that. Um, I think operations experience is helpful. Um, I don't know if it's required, but it's definitely helpful. Right. So like, at least you have some idea of kind of like what it is you're walking into most guys who I'm, I'm aware of they buy a business and kind of like they go in in the trenches and they really learn the business inside out. Right. Um, and there's kind of like two schools of thought. You know, you can go in for, let's say, 12 months and really learn the business and then you can put an operator and slowly phase out. Right. So you've got to find somebody who's a very talented operator who can be your right hand man, maybe give them a piece of the upside. To incentivize them um and at some point just kind of like cut your time from you know 50 hours 40 hours a week to hopefully five or six and then you just banish the operator that's kind of like one dream and then the other dream um which uh, another sort of school of thought is to buy one business and go all in on it and win a gold medal right that's uh i think it's jeff hoffman's um uh, uh, that's that's his Mentality—that's that's what he argues for. Okay. So, sure. yeah, because basically, if you can go all in and you can kind of like really, really push hard to take it to several levels higher, you know, you, you can take a business from I don't know from five million price to you know 25 30 million, um in, in in several years, which would be very hard to do if you bring a guy in and you pay him salary and, and and give him like a piece of the upside, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, interesting. And, it, and I think ultimately you're doing you're doing the same thing with real estate anyways, because odds are you're hiring property management, which is your operations team, uh, which would be very similar to this as well. So uh, I'll more risky, very similar type of model when you consider really what you're hiring for um, when you're buying these assets, because at the end of the day, whether it's multifamily or self-storage or a, a B2B business, These are very large businesses that are driving EBITDA. And ultimately, we're we're buying yield with these. And you've got to have some expertise to um, make sure that everything's happening there that needs to be happening to make sure that your investment's taken care of. So, um, very interesting. I've not, not, as I mentioned, I've not looked into that space yet, but this conversation has me thinking maybe I should more and more, but um, very, very interesting. Now, in regards to your passive investments, you still have a, a rather large portfolio of passive investments. Um, are you recycling those returns today? Are you continuing to invest passively? Are you trying to stack capital for you know this uh, SBA purchase? Pr- potentially in
0: the future no so look, I, re- I remain um, very active as, as, a, as a passive investor right I would say this year I slowed down somewhat I, I think I invested in three or four deals this year probably like f- five or six deals last year um, okay. once I buy a business I will probably continue to invest passively as well because like at the end of the day if you know you can have some depreciation right from your investment as well as cash flow component. And you have a chance to let's say tune FX your 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 investment over whatever five six years, like it's hard to say no to that, right? Assuming you can you can you can bet on the right uh, jockey, um, so uh, and that's kind of like where you look at the track record, right? Those things we talked about, you know, how many times this this, this guy has has done this before? So yeah, I I expect to remain uh, pretty active there. And look, with businesses kind of like. <laughs> If you do well if you're successful right you will make lots of money you will have to pay lots of taxes so investing in real estate and getting the you know bonus depreciation uh, component will tremendously help you to save money i think mean, this is not obviously investment or tax advice but that's yeah, right but that's kind of like you know that's one of the benefits of you know, investing in real estate is that you can have um some some serious depreciation benefits that can help you offset your income you know if you're if you, if you have yeah. a real estate professional status, it can help you offset your active income. And if, and if you don't, it can help you offset your passive income.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I preach all the time. And, and really the avatar of, of this in, in our audience is the high income W-2 employee. And you know my advice always is, maintain whatever it is that you do to make money, keep that in place and then leverage real estate for the tax benefits and the equity multiples and cash flow you can generate and that's really the perfect marriage so you're doing that one step further owning businesses to drive a very large income but still leveraging passive income for all the tax benefits so very very cool now as you look at the next few years we're recording this in december it'll probably get published in january but as you look to the year ahead any asset classes, any trends, any economic indices that uh, you're watching closely that'll help you make decisions on where to place capital in the coming year?
0: Since we, we, you know this is really kind of like about passive investing and kind of like LP positions and you know buying real estate, buying businesses. Look, I'm also a believer in, in Bitcoin, um, which goes through like four year cycles. And last couple of years, it's, you know, it took okay. it on, on, on the chin, so to speak. And now kind of like, okay. even, we're, we're kind of like coming out from the crypto winter. Like we're now in the spring and, you know, I have lots of enthusiasm for 24 and 25. I think we'll be in the crypto summer. So I am paying more attention to, you know, the Bitcoin and, and maybe like a few cryptocurrencies to supplement all the other investments that I've made um, in uh, within the real estate investing world.
1: Okay. All right, we we do not go down that path hardly ever. So it's interesting to hear. I I have not um, heard of the Bitcoin winter. I guess I've heard a lot about the Bitcoin winter. I've not heard about the coming spring and summer for it. Uh, So that that is interesting to me.
0: And just to kind of like answer your question fully, um, also, um, I'm also investing in kind of like a whole structure where you have a holding company that's investing in um, a portfolio of companies, right? So you may have like, okay. again, like a single, a single hold call level company and underneath it, there is 16 different businesses, right? With respective CEOs sure. and operators and CFOs. Um, and they have like fractional, you know, C-suite guys that sit at the whole level to help bring efficiencies and just make the businesses better. So um, that's, that's the first investment that, I, that uh, I'm about to make this year that I haven't made before. But that kind of like goes to the whole business investing um theme that we talked about sure um except here you're betting yep. on someone who's done it before and who, again like they have you know a decade of of um of track record uh to show that they they know what they're doing um, but look once again you get the cash on cash component right and you also have you also participate in appreciation in the value of these businesses right these underlying businesses as they grow and, and, and they get bigger um th- in the passive capacity once again. This kind of investing opportunities is not nearly as common as the real estate deals that you and I see every day, right? It takes a little bit more effort to find these deals than the whole Co11 deals, but uh, they're also wonderful if if, if you care about investing passively and getting the the cash on cash component.
1: Interesting. So so it sounds very similar to like a a fund of multiple assets in the real estate space, but it's just multiple businesses. generally on those funds, they're a longer-term hold. Do you see that these are longer-term as well, or what's the exit strategy?
0: Yeah, against? there's like a five-year lockup, right? So if you see yourself having need for this capital in the next couple of years, this, this is probably not the right one. Same as most real estate deals gotcha. where the money is locked up, right? If, it, if it's a development project, construction project, your, your money is probably locked in for, you know, at least three, four, five years, uh, if not longer. Um, so... You you have to be comfortable with the illiquidity aspect of it, right? Um, but I'm, I'm I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, very interesting. I'll, I I know I hear a lot of people in the community talking about this model that you're suggesting, and and again, I've been um, kind of sitting on the sidelines watching, uh, as I as I tend to do for a couple of years before I'll generally jump into anything new like that. So very interesting. I'll have to dig into it and learn a little bit more. So. Very good. Well, yeah, Paul, this has been an interesting conversation. Um, Is there anything that we should have discussed or anything I should have asked that maybe I missed or anything you'd like to share with the audience before we we go to our our final set of questions I'd like to ask everyone?
0: Um, I mean, look, I think it's very important to do your diligence on the companies that you're investing with because everyone can like look great and sound great you know, like the rising tide lifts all boats, right? That's like, like what we've been experiencing over the last several years. Um, but, you know, as we are kind of like wrapping up 23 and entering 24, there's been lots of guys that are losing shirts um, with their investments because they, they, they invested in the, in the wrong entity or the wrong sponsor. So for people who don't have the experience to size up, a sponsor, just be careful to to go in blindly, right? Because like there's, there's plenty of bad actors, uh, some intentionally, some not intentionally. Like some guys who, you know, have very expensive debt today. They could be great people with, with great, the best intentions, right? The, the, the road to, to hell is paid with, with good intentions. Um, but right, the interest rates went, went up so much that some people got really hurt in the process. So. I would just say just just be careful to to guys that see appeal in this kind of like passive investing with you know cash component depreciation component just to just to be careful picking your winners because uh, because some of those guys um, not 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 everything is gold that shines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very very good
1: advice and fitting fitting for final comments on a passive investing show for sure because ultimately you're you're betting on the jockey. And, uh, you know, a, a good jockey can make a bad deal good or a bad jockey can make a good deal bad. So really good advice to wrap it up here. So very good. Well, Paul, I do have a few questions that i like to ask everybody before we finish up the show. One that I like is geared more towards the newer, newer passive investor. But if you were to offer some uh, book suggestion or a podcast suggestion for the, for the individual that's just getting started in the space, do you have any any suggestions for the audience?
0: Yeah, so uh, I love uh, Alex Moses' The Game podcast. I, th- I think that guy that guy has uh, just a tremendous amount of wisdom. Um, I think Brian Lubins uh, with his Action Academy has done a wonderful job on his podcast. Um, Books wise, um, if you're again if you're thinking about uh, doing this passive domestic uh, journey, I think uh, Charlie Monger's Almanac is a is a wonderful wonderful book. What else can I tell you? I mean, look, there's there's a gazillion books, right? Some, some are way better than others. So, I would say that and um, the Almanac of Naval Ravikant is just a wonderful book about uh, life philosophies um, that I think that I recommend to all my friends.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you for that. I I just bought Charlie Munger's Almanac. Um, And I'm waiting for that to arrive, hopefully any day now. And then Brian Lubin, of course, he just launched a new book as well, which is awesome. He's got a great podcast. And then Hermosi, I've not read, um, not listened to the podcast, but I've bought his most two recent books, which are fantastic. So, um, yeah, very good suggestions. Okay, excellent. And then uh, kind of a fun one here. You and I are both part of a community that likes to focus on bucket list items. So is there a recent bucket list item that you've
0: checked off the list or one you're hoping to in the near future? Oh boy. Um, so, uh, recent one, I mean, I went to, I went to Japan, which was an awesome trip. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah. I went, went, went with my wife and, uh, brother and, and, and his, um, his woman. Um, japan has been amazing um i think skiing in japan is uh is definitely on on my bucket list so
1: fantastic
0: that's 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 something that i definitely want to cross off in the next couple of years
1: very cool very cool well japan is on my list as well and and not checked off yet so i'll uh i'll reach back out to you when we when we finally get that one booked sounds good very good all right, and then our final final question I'd like to ask everybody, if you were investing 100 grand today and you couldn't invest in one of your own deals, um, where would you place that capital?
0: So I think it comes down to kind of like how much risk tolerance do you, do you are you comfortable with, right? Like there's companies like Reliant, right? Self-storage, like great, great company, been around for a while, great track record. Um, their returns might not be as generous as somebody who is not quite as established, right? but I think it's very un- unlikely you're gonna lose your money. Like uh, I love those guys. I think I think they're doing a wonderful job. You know, if you take on if, if you want to take on more risk, you will get high return, right? Somebody who hasn't been around for quite as long, somebody who is willing to pay more, right? To kind of like get your money and um, build their reputation that way. Um, and then kind of like, as you go further and further to the right of the, of the risk spectrum, that's kind of like when you approach you know, things like the Bitcoin investment, right? Sure. Like that, sure. That's kind of yeah. like the, the upper echelon of volatility, right? It can go up or down, you know, 10%, you know, if, and if, and if you are a believer that um, it's gonna go to, you know, the moon, then you invest. But um, you, it comes down to kind of like, how comfortable are you with placing your money at risk? And if you're not comfortable at all, like I have a friend like that, he's investing in treasuries, right? He's all the way to the left. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I have I have friends throughout the whole spectrum, you know, and I I try to sort of <laughs> sure. I try to listen who's who's investing in what and what's the downside in every case and what's the upside, right? So kind of like, not to talk too much about Bitcoin, but if there is a a very small probability that you're gonna lose all your money and a relatively high probability that you're gonna make five extra money or six extra money or ten extra money, like maybe this investment is interesting, right? And if you if you're if if you have an issue with let's say one of, percent of, of bitcoin going to zero you don't touch that bucket right you know you move to the left and somebody who is maybe who's done three or four or five deals but there's still routes to maybe invest with those guys um and if you know if not then there is dlp who is even more safer right um which, which and I, I know is a company that you uh, f- are familiar with so it comes down to personal choices and your risk tolerance
1: Love it. Really good advice, Paul. So yeah, thank you so much. This has been a fun conversation. I we never really know where they're going to go when we start these, but this one brought us down a couple of, of different rabbit holes that I think brought a lot of value to the audience. So thank you so much, Paul, for being on the show. I appreciate it. It's
0: been a pleasure. Thanks Randy.
1: Awesome. All right. To the audience, as always, thank you for joining with us again today. Um, be sure to come back next Thursday. We'll have another great guest on the show and uh, continue to, your education process in this journey of passive investing. I'm convinced that once you make the decision to start passive investing, you'll be so glad that you did and just wish you had started sooner. So um, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. And thank you again for joining us today.
0: Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It.
1: It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode.
0: And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you and have a wonderful day.